transmitting to you from Old Heart Radio. Thanks for listening. As always, that you know it. This is Coffee and Contemplation, your old Heart Radio podcast. <laughs> well, at least one of them. Uh, you know it. I know it. We all know it. I'm your host, Old Heart, aka Jared, aka whatever. I honestly don't care. Names are irrelevant. Are they though? Maybe they are. Who knows? I uh, hope you're having a good day wherever you're at in it. I uh, hope you have something to help you, uh, you know, soothe the pain away, aka a cup of coffee uh, or something else to make you a little anxious or what have you. Um, and you know, like I said, thanks for listening. If you're not listening, well, fuck you. If you are listening, you're cool. Uh, so welcome to the club. Welcome to Old Heart. You know, all that shit. All this happened, more or less, the war parts anyway, are pretty much true. One guy I knew really was shot in Dresden for taking a teapot that wasn't his. Another guy I knew really did threaten to have his personal enemies killed by hired gunmen after the war, and so on. I've changed all the names. I really did go back to Dresden with Guggenheim money, God love it, in 1967. It looked a lot like Dayton, Ohio, more open spaces than Dayton has. There must be tons of human bone meal in the ground. I went back there with an old war buddy, Bernard V. O'Hare, and we made friends with a cab driver who took us to the slaughterhouse where we had been locked up at night as prisoners of war. His name was Gerhard Mueller. He told us that he was a prisoner of the Americans for a while. We asked him how it was to live under communism, and he said that it was terrible at first because everybody had to work so hard and because there wasn't much shelter or food or clothing. But things were much better now. He had a pleasant little apartment, and his daughter was getting an excellent education. His mother was incinerated in the Dresden firestorm. So it goes. We sent O'Hare a postcard at Christmas time, and here is what it said. I wish you and your family also as to your friend, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I hope that we'll meet again in a world of peace and freedom in the taxi cab if the accident will. I like that very much, if the accident will. I would hate to tell you what this lousy little book cost me in money and anxiety and time. When I got home from the Second World War 23 years ago, I thought it would be easy for me to write about the destruction of Dresden, since all I would have to do would be to report what I had seen. And I thought, too, that it would be a masterpiece, or at least make me a lot of money, since the subject was so big. But not many words about Dresden came from my mind then. Not enough of them to make a book, anyway. And not many words come now, either when I have become an old fart, with his memories and his Paul Malls, with his sons full grown. 
I think of how useless the Dresden part of my memory has been, and yet how tempting Dresden has been to write about, and I am reminded of the famous limerick. There was a young man from Stambul who soliloquized thus his tool. You took all my wealth, and you ruined my health, and now you won't pee, you old fool. I am reminded, too, of the song that goes, My name is Jan Janssen. I work in Wisconsin. I work in a lumber mill there. There, the people I meet when I walk down the street, they say, what's your name? And I say, my name is Jan Janssen. I work in Wisconsin. And so on to infinity. Over the years, people I have met have often asked me what I'm working on. And I usually replied that the main thing was a book about Dresden. I said that to Harrison Starr, the movie maker, one time, and he raised his eyebrows and inquired, Is it an anti-war book? Yes, I said, I, I guess. You know what I would say to people when I hear they're writing anti-war books? No. What do you say, Harrison Starr? I say, what do you write an anti-glacier book instead? What he meant, of course, was that there would always be wars, they were as easy to stop as glaciers. I believe that too. And even if wars didn't keep coming like glaciers, there would still be plain old death. When I was somewhat younger, working on my famous Dresden book, I asked an old war buddy named Bernard V. O'Hare if I could come to see him. He was a district attorney in Pennsylvania. I was a writer on Cape Cod. We had been privates in the war infantry scouts. We had never expected to make any money after the war, but we were doing quite well. I had the Bell Telephone Company find him for me. They had a wonderful they are wonderful that way. I have this disease late late at night sometimes involving alcohol and the telephone. I get drunk and I drive my wife away with a breath like mustard gas and roses. And then speaking gravely and eloquently and elegantly into the telephone, I asked the telephone operators to connect me with this friend or that one from whom I have not heard in years. I got O'Hare on the line in this way. He is short, I am tall. We were, we were Mutt and Jeff in the war. We were captured together in the war. I told him who I was on the telephone. He had no trouble believing it. He was up. He was reading. Everybody else in his house was asleep. Listen, I said, I'm writing this book about Dresden. I'd like some help remembering the stuff. I wonder if I could come down and see you and we could drink and talk and remember. He was unenthusiastic. He said he couldn't remember much. He told me, though, to come ahead. I think the climax of the book will be the execution of poor old Edgar Derby, I said. The irony is so great. A whole city gets burned down, and thousands and thousands of people are killed. And then this one American foot soldier is arrested in the ruins for taking a teapot. And he's given a regular trial, and then he's shot by a firing squad. Um, said O'Hare. Don't you think that that's really where the climax should come? I don't know anything about that, about it, he said. That's your trade, not mine. As a trafficker in climaxes and thrills and characterizations and wonderful dialogue and the suspense and confrontations, I had outlined the Dresden story many times. 
the best outline I ever made, or anyway the prettiest one, was on the back of a roll of wallpaper. I used my daughter's crayons, a different color for each main character. One end of the wallpaper was the beginning of the story, and the other end was the end. And then there was all the middle part, which was the middle. And the blue line met the red line, then the yellow line, and the yellow line stopped because the characters represented the yellow by the yellow line were, was dead, and so on. The destruction of Dresden was represented by a vertical band of orange crosshatching, and all the lines that were still alive passed through it and came out the other end. The end, where all the lines stopped, was a beet field on the Elbe uh, outside of Hall, and the rain was coming down. The war in Europe had been over for a couple of weeks. We were formed in ranks with Russian soldiers guarding us. Englishmen, Americans, Dutchmen, Belgians, Frenchmen, Canadians, South Africans, New Zealanders, Australians, thousands of us about to stop being prisoners of war. And on the other side of the field were thousands of Russians and Poles and Yugoslavians and so on guarded by American soldiers. In exchange, was there in the rain. One for me, one for one. <sighs> O'Hare and I climbed back in, climbed into the back of an American truck with a lot of others. O'Hare didn't have any souvenirs. Almost everybody else did. I had a ceremonial Luftwaffe, <laughs> Luftwaffe saber. Still do. Uh, the rabid little American uh, I call Paul Lazaro in this book had about a quart of diamonds and emeralds and rubies and so on. He had taken these from dead people in the cellars of Dresden. So it goes. An idiotic Englishman who had lost all his teeth somewhere had a souvenir in a canvas bag. The bag was resting on my insteps. He would peek into the bag every now and then, and he would roll his eyes and swivel his scrawny neck trying to catch people looking con uh, covetuously at his bag, and he would bounce the bag on my insteps. I thought this bouncing was accidental, but I was mistaken. He had to show somebody what was in the bag, and he had decided he could trust me. He caught my eye, winked, opened the bag, and there was a plaster mold of the Eiffel Tower in there. It was painted gold. It had a clock in it. And there's a smashing thing, he said. And we were flown to a rest camp in France, where we were fed chocolate malted milkshakes and other rich foods until we were all covered with baby fat. Then we were sent home, and I married a pretty girl who was covered with baby fat too. And we had babies. And they're all grown up now. And I'm an old fart with his memories and his Paul Malls. My name is Jan Janssen. I work in Wisconsin. I work in a lumber mill there. Sometimes, I try to call up old girlfriends on the telephone late at night, after my wife has gone to bed. Operator, I wonder if you could give me the number of a Mrs. So-and-so. I think she lives as such-and-such. I'm sorry, sir, there is no such listing. Thanks, operator. Thanks just the same. And I let the dog out, or I let him in, and we talk some. And I let him know I like him, and he lets me know he likes me. He doesn't mind the smell of mustard gas and roses. You're all right, Sandy, I'll say to the dog. You know what, Sandy? You're okay. Sometimes I'll turn on the radio and listen to a talk program from Boston or New York. I can't stand recorded music if I've been drinking a good deal. Sooner or later I go to bed and my wife asks me what time it is. She always has to know the time. Sometimes I don't know and I say, search me. 
I think about my education sometimes. I went to the University of Chicago for a while after the Second World War. I was a student in the Department of Anthropology. At that time, they were teaching that there was absolutely no difference between anybody. They may be teaching that still. Another thing they taught me was that nobody was ridiculous or bad or disgusting. Shortly before my father died, he said to me, You know, you never wrote a story with a villain in it. I told him that that was one of the things I learned in college after the war. Oh my god. We did it. Alright ladies and gentlemen. Hot dogs. Big and strong. All of you hot dogs, thanks for listening as always. Oh my god. This has been another episode of Coffee and Contemplation. Go out there, find us on Instagram at Old Heart Radio. Tell us, tell your friends, tell your moms, tell your all your people. Look us up on Spotify and iTunes at Old Heart Radio, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Old Heart and Space. Go out there and use your brains for good. Hot dogs. Thanks for listening. Every day is a good day to ripen up that coconut. And as we say it, how do we say it? What do we say it? Keep a stick on the ice.